Well, let me just tell you this right from the get-go. I've known Kevin Thacker a good long while, and uh, every single story that I could tell you about the man is a good one. He is a good one. Uh, he was an impressive boy, an impressive teenager, and he's an impressive man. And I am very thankful that the Lord sent him to you. I bring you uh, greetings from your brethren in Ashland, uh, particularly Brother Eric Floyd wanted me to give all of you his, his love and his greeting. You might be surprised how often we talk about you all. You're in our thoughts, our hearts, and our prayers. I pray God's richest blessing on you. If you would, this evening, let's uh, turn our Bibles to begin with to Philippians chapter 3. I've entitled my message tonight a thought that uh, has been deeply, deeply on my heart for some time now, is give me Christ or else I die. It is so important for us to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just know about him, but to know him. It's so important that we know Christ that we'll perish in hell if we don't know him. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. There's no forgiveness of sin, no mercy from God, no saving grace, no salvation, no acceptance with the Father unless I know Christ. So I say for you and me both, Give me Christ or else I die. My great desire this evening is that you and I walk out that door knowing Christ. I want you to know Christ. Now, there are things that we have to have to live in this world, don't we? And I'm not saying that those things, food and water and clothing, I'm not housing, I'm not saying those things aren't important. What I'm saying is they have their level of importance. The Lord taught us to pray that. Give us this day our daily bread. He taught us to pray. Give me my daily provisions for this flesh that I need today. The Lord taught us to, to pray that way so they have a level of importance, don't they? Our Lord also reminded us, lest we get skittish, he knows we have need of these things before we ask. And he also told us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I know we need the things of this life, but I don't want to trade knowing Christ. I don't want to trade the opportunity to meet together and to worship him. I don't want to trade the opportunity of meeting together and hear Christ preached just so I can have some more temporary things of this life. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. It's very important to me to have a knowledge of doctrine, to have a sound knowledge of doctrine. It's important to have a correct knowledge of Scripture. But I need a whole lot more than that. The Pharisees had a knowledge of what the Scripture said, didn't they? They didn't know what they meant, but they knew what they said. I don't just need a knowledge of religion, and I don't want you to just have a knowledge of religion. I need to know Christ. Knowing Christ is life eternal. And if I know Christ, I'll understand the scriptures. And if I don't know Christ, I don't care how much I study the scriptures and how many great reader writers of the past that I read, I'll never have an understanding of the scripture if I don't know Christ. 
So I say, give me Christ or else I die. I want to give you five points on that subject this morning. Give me, or this evening, give me Christ or else I die. Number one is this. Give me Christ's righteousness or else I die. Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now all these things that Paul lost, these things that he counted as dung, you know what they were? They were his works of the law. Works of the law that Saul of Tarsus did, trying to earn his own righteousness. And I have very little doubt, outwardly, Saul of Tarsus did all those things. You and I watching him, we couldn't lay our finger on one thing the man did wrong. Outwardly, I'm just confident of that. I don't think he's lying. I think he outwardly he did those things. But this is what he found out. They could never make him righteous. Those works were full of sin because they were full of self. They weren't full of Christ. They were full of self-righteousness. And that's why Paul counted them as dung, because they weren't saving. They were damning. They were damning. The only way for sinners like you and me to be made righteous is by being in Christ. Christ is the righteousness of his people. Jeremiah called the Savior Jehovah Sidkenu the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Do you hear that? Righteousness is not a thing. Righteousness is not a legal state before God. Righteousness is a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. If I would be made righteous, I must have Christ. Righteousness doesn't come by my works of the law. Paul says here, it comes through the faith of Christ. Through the faithfulness of Christ to obey the law in my place as my representative. That's the only way I can be made righteous. That's the only way you can be made righteous. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. I always feel very cautious about this. I don't want me and I don't want you to just know things about Christ. I don't want us to just to know some doctrinal facts about Christ, true as they may be. I want to know Christ like a wife knows her husband. I want to be joined to Christ so that I am one with him, so that I am what he is. If we're joined to Christ, we're righteous. Because we are what he is. I want to be joined to Christ so that I have his life. That's the only way a dead sinner can live. It's by being joined to Christ. Just like the branch. The only way the branch can live is if it's joined to Christ, if it's joined to the vine. The only way you and I can live is if we're joined to Christ. That's what Paul says when he goes on here in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Be made conformable into his death, 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now here's what Paul's saying. I don't want to just know some facts about the resurrection of Christ. I don't want to know just some doctrinal ramifications of the resurrection of Christ. And they may be true, but I want to know more than that. This is what Paul's saying, and this is, this, I, I amen him. I want to experience that same life-giving power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. See, I'm dead in sin. You're dead in sin. And the only way we can have spiritual life is if God the Holy Spirit, he moves in that same life-giving power and raises us from the dead by that same life-giving power that he raised the Savior from the dead. See, I need to be given spiritual life. And the only way I can be given spiritual life is if I'm given life for the very same reason that Christ was raised from the dead. Now think about it for a minute. Why did Christ die? He died for sin, didn't he? He died for the sin of his people. The sin of his people was made his, and that sin demanded his death. Isn't that right? Three days later, why did he rise again? Because all that sin that was laid on him was put away by his sacrifice. See, his sacrifice which put away sin demanded that he be raised again from the dead. If Christ died for me, if Christ died for you, his death puts your sin away. And the justice of God demands you be given life. If Christ died for you, this I promise you, God's going to raise you from the dead. He's going to give you spiritual life. Now, that's not just religion. That's not just good Calvinistic doctrine. That's a vital union, a vital relationship with the person. And that's what salvation is, isn't it, Kevin? It's a union with, it's a relationship with the person. So I say again, give me Christ or else I die. Now, I know how Christ made his people righteous. In two or three sentences, I'm going to tell you. It's something you've heard before. It's not anything new. But I don't want you to listen to this and just hear this as doctrine. This is how legally... God made his people righteous. I want you to listen to what the Savior did for his people. The righteous, holy Son of God, who knew nothing but holiness, took the sin of his people away from them. And he made it his. Knowing what it would cost him. He took the sin of his people into his own body on the tree and the father turned his back on him. The father himself plunged the sword of justice into his fellow and he suffered as no man has ever suffered in the history of this planet, body and soul. And he suffered and he died. He gave up the ghost. They couldn't kill him. He had to give up the ghost. And you know why he gave up the ghost? The transaction was done. Sin was paid for. And he gave up the ghost. And he did that for the likes of you and me. He did that so wretches, rebels, who are nothing but sin, 
would be made the righteousness of God in him. See, when he took the sin of his people, you know what he did? He traded them his righteousness. And that's not just a legal document saying, I'm righteous. He made his people right, made them righteous. He gave them a righteous nature. Now, that's a whole lot more than doctrine. That's a, that's a salvation from a loving Savior. I say, give me Christ or else I die. All right, number two, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Give me Christ's blood or else I die. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now this is what I know. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be redeemed from my sin. And that sin is an astronomical, infinite debt. Because all of my sin is a sin against an eternal, infinite God. And I have willfully sinned against Him. And there's nothing valuable enough to pay that debt. All my silver and gold, all my works, giving up my family, giving up good Kentucky bourbon, giving up smoking cigars, whatever it might be, nothing's good enough to pay that debt. Nothing but the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. The perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ makes his blood so precious there isn't any other blood like it. All other blood is spoiled by sin. So only the blood of Christ can pay the sin debt of his people. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. Now again, I don't want to just know about the blood of Christ. I want to know Christ so that I know when he shed his blood, he shed his blood for me. And this is what I tried to say a minute ago. I hope that in all of our love of the gospel, those, those, those foundational tenet truths of the gospel that we love, that separate us, the, the difference you know, in doctrine from the, from the Armenian and, and free willer and all that, I hope we don't ever forget, maybe because we've heard it so much, maybe for whatever reason, I hope we never forget what a precious thing it is that the Lord Jesus Christ loved his people so much. He sacrificed himself. He shed the most precious thing that's ever existed on this earth, the blood of God, to put away the sin of his people. That's precious that's loving, that's a whole lot more than a legal thing. That's something that gets to the heart. I need him, don't you? So I say, give me Christ or else I die. You know, my sin is not just a violation of the rules. Sin is a defilement of my soul. See, sin gives me a twofold problem. First, I got a debt I can't pay. 
And second, there's a defilement of my soul, a filth on my soul that I cannot cure. I can't get rid of it. I'm defiled through and through. And the only hope I have is the blood of Christ. The Apostle John said, the blood of God, son, cleanses us from what? All sin. Cleanses us from all sin. Washes the souls of his people white as snow because of his precious blood. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. Now I'm telling you, I need my sin. You need your sin to be taken away from you. And the motions of religion won't get the job done. Now I want you to listen to me real clearly here. Even the motions of correct religion won't get the job done. Even being around the gospel. Even mentally saying, I think that's so. Even being around folks that, that believe it and love it. Now listen to me. I'm telling you I know what I'm talking about because I've experienced this. I told somebody the other day, as long as I've ever understood language, however old that is, that's how long I've been a Calvinist. I mean, I just, I made, I understand that. Those those five points of Calvinism, that's the only thing that makes sense. I I believe those things were, were so. You want to know what makes the difference between tulip and salvation? is when I understand, God teaches me, shows me, I'm totally depraved. See, I always believe in the total depravity of man. When the Lord revealed himself to me, I understood I'm totally depraved so that the only hope I have is Christ. That's the only way my sin can be put away. I always believed in unconditional election. Of course God had to choose the people to save because dead people are never going to choose God. I understood that. But once I stood, understood who I am, I understood how desperately if God, I need God to choose me. I need him to choose me. Limited atonement. I always believed in limited atonement. Christ died for his people. He didn't die for the whole wide world. If he did, hell would be empty. Hell's not empty, so Christ didn't die for the sins of every man that ever lived. That's obvious. When God showed me who I am, oh, I need his blood. I need him to to die for me, to offer an atonement for me. Irresistible call of the Spirit. Of course the only way anybody is ever going to come to Christ is he calls them through the gospel, and he calls them with such power, of course they come to Christ. That's obvious. When the Lord showed me who I am, I understood I need to be where the gospel's preached. Because that's the only way I'm going to hear that call. That's the only way I'm going to find out who Christ is and come to him. I need him to call me or I'll never come. Well, Frank, you know, the Lord showed you who you are. He showed you who he is. He, 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 he chose you. He, he died for you. He called you by his gospel. Brother, we ain't done. I need him to keep me. Perseverance. Of the south. I understood that. I mean, from the time I was a little shaver, I understood that. Well, let me tell you right now, I mean, I need God to keep me. And I need him to do it by his grace. Never because I deserve it. By his grace. That's the difference between doctrine and salvation. That's the difference between tulip and knowing Christ.
I didn't have that in my notes, but I hope that helps. I hope that helps you. The motions of religion aren't going to do it. The Jews had motions of religion, didn't they? They had the sacrifices. They had the priesthood. They had the holy days. Nobody else had them. The Philistines didn't have them. The Amorites didn't have them. The Jews did. Didn't do them any good. All the blood of animals and bulls and goats that they offered year by year continually, that never made them perfect. All it did was remind them every year sin. But the blood of Christ takes away the sin of his people so that they're sanctified, made holy by his one offering for sin. So I say, give me Christ or else I'll die in my sin. Number three, look at Romans chapter 9. I need Christ's love or else I'll die. Romans chapter 9. Verse 13. As it's written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now here's what God had to say. This is not what some theologian has to say. This is what God had to say. God said, I hate Esau. And how did Esau end up? Well, I mean, truthfully, Esau ended up very rich in the things of this world. But Esau also ended up a reprobate that God sent to hell. Jacob, his twin brother, was a scoundrel. You read uh, your pastors going through the book of Genesis now, you think back across those messages and cross reading through the book of Genesis, you're hard-pressed to find one thing old Jacob did right, aren't you? I mean, can right off, can you think of one that he did right? Everything Jacob did, he did wrong the first time, every single time. And this is after the Lord saved him. I'm, I'm talking about after the Lord revealed himself to him at Bethel. Said, Jacob, this is me. Here's this ladder. This is, I'm showing you a picture. This is how I'm going to save sinners. This is how I'm going to save you. He confirmed his promise to Jacob, and Jacob just kept messing up, messing up, messing up, messing up. But me too. But Jacob ended up being blessed of God with every spiritual blessing that Almighty God has. You know why? God's grace. God loved him. When Jacob came to the end of his life, you know what he said? He said, the Lord has shepherded me my whole life long. And that word shepherded means fed. I've tried to wander off. I've messed it up. And Lord's fed me and led me and kept me my whole life long. And when Jacob died, the scripture says Jacob went to be with the Lord. Genesis 49 verse 33 says he was gathered unto his people. Well, who are his people? Abraham and Isaac. Where were they? They were with the Lord. Jacob was too. Now let me ask you. There's these two men. What's the difference? What's the difference between Jacob and Esau? The only difference is the love of God. It's the only difference. The love of God made the difference between being saved and being lost, between heaven and hell, between life and death. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. I want to know him so that I know he loves me. It's the only way I can be saved. 
See, I must have the love of Christ. I must. If Christ loves me, he'll teach me. He'll feed me. He'll shepherd me just like he did Jacob. Mark 6, verse 34 says, Jesus came out and saw the people. And he was moved with compassion toward them. When's the last time you saw a big crowd and you looked at them and you were moved with compassion? The Savior was moved with compassion for that people. It says because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Boy, wouldn't you love to have heard that lesson. <laughs> and we tell you what he's teaching them? Himself. Himself. He's the teacher and he's the lesson. He's teaching them himself. And after he taught them, you know what he did? He performed that miracle, the loaves and fishes, and fed those people just because he had compassion on them. The Lord loved that multitude, and he taught them, and he fed them. That's just what I need. So I say, give me Christ, or else I die. See, if Christ loves me, this is what I know for sure. If Christ loves me, he sacrificed himself for my sin. Now you think of that. But that's true of every one of God's people. It's what our Lord told his disciples before he went to Calvary. John 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. All right, I understand that. Here's the miracle of it. And you're my friends. <laughs> and you're my friends. I need the love of Christ or else I die. And I'll tell you something else about the love of Christ. You know, his love, his love for his people will be the theme of the song of heaven. Revelations 1 verse 5 tells us that they sang unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's going to be the theme of the song of heaven. I want to learn the melody now, don't you? I, want, I can't sing it as well as they do, but I want to start singing it now, don't you? All right, here's the fourth thing. Give me Christ's presence or else I die. Now, you don't need me to tell you that this world is a hard, hard, hard place to live, especially for the believer. Now, every son of Adam has to endure the effect of sin. The effect of sin in our bodies, the effect of sin in the world around us, every son of Adam has to endure that. But the believer also has to endure the hatred of this world, has to endure being misunderstood by this world. The believer has to endure the heartache of dragging around that old dead man with him everywhere he goes. He has to endure that. The believer goes through trials and troubles that are sent by the Lord and sent only to his people. He's going to send, he promised us he'll send them to his people. The writer to the Hebrews says, if you're without chastisement, you're a bastard and not a son. So every son, every believer endures that chastisement, endures that those trials and heartache in deep, deep waters. Look back at Isaiah 43. If you're not going 
through those deep waters and going through these chastisements like I'm talking about at this very moment. I'm sorry to tell you, you will soon. You will soon. And when that happens, what's the believer's only comfort? What's the only thing the believer has to hang on to in those dark, stormy waters? Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, you fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, and here's why I did it, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life, so you fear not. And here's why. For I am with thee. <laughs> Now, if you're a believer, this is what you'll find. You'll find you can endure any trial, any heartache, as long as you have a sense of the presence of the Lord with you. You sure can. Our brother John Newton wrote these words. He said, when Jesus no longer I see, sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim, and the fields strive in vain to look gay. Everything's dull and lifeless. That's what I have when I don't have a, a sense of his presence. But our brother went on to say that when I do have a sense of his presence, December's as pleasant as May, and prisons do palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me there. Oh, I say, give me Christ. Give me his presence or else I die. The Lord's presence is so precious to the hearts of his people that the sweet psalmist of Israel, in his own words, said, give me Christ or else I die. Psalm 51, verse 11, he said, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Give me your presence. That's the constant cry of every believer, isn't it? Andre, he'll even go to Oregon or Washington or wherever far-flung place you're going. He's already there. He's already there. Then here's the last thing. Look at John chapter 6. Give me a commitment to Christ. Or else I die. I want to be committed to him. John 6 verse 65. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my father. And he said that to a big crowd. He had many people following him. And from that time when he finished, our Lord finished this great message. Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Huh? The door's open. 
I'm not keeping you against your will. Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and we're sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was committed, wasn't he? Uh, I know Peter's going to stumble and fall one or two times. But Peter was committed to Christ. I do. I want. I, I want to be that. You know, the only people who are going to be crowned are the people who finish the race. And you know what finishing the race is? The writer to the Hebrews gave us a whole lot of examples of it. Hebrews chapter eleven. These all died in the faith. <laughs> That's finishing the race. Now, if I quit before I die, all that shows is I never knew Christ. I may have known some doctrine. I may have known some things about Christ. I can quit doctrine. I can quit knowing facts. But I can't quit Christ. If I know him, I can't quit him. <laughs> the Lord. I, and here's, this is, oh, this has been on my heart. The Lord has been committed to me. He chose me. He loved me. He sacrificed himself for me. He called me to Christ. He gave me faith to believe Christ, faith and life to come to Christ. And he's promised he's going to keep me to the end. And I'm not, I'm not going to help him one, one step in all that journey. I'm not going to help him one way. But that's commitment, isn't it? For him to promise his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I don't know about you. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, but I want that to be clear. I'm thankful. But I don't want that to be a one-way street. I don't want to be trying to leave him. I want to be committed to I know he's, gonna, he's got to keep me, but I want to be committed to him. Brother Henry said one time, he said, when I go to other places, he said, I tend to preach a little longer and tend to use more examples because when I visit places, they ain't heard all my illustrations before. So let me give an illustration of this. Back in, uh, oh, whatever, I forget whatever year it was, but our youngest daughter, Savannah, she's about two. And we were going to the service one Sunday morning. big, big snow come on the ground. And, you know, they'd scrape the parking lot, but you know how it is. Well, maybe y'all don't know, but if you've ever seen snow, you scrape the parking lot, there's snow and it's all slippery stuff, you know, left on top of the parking lot. And we were walking, me and Savannah, and I had a hold of her hand good and tight. And we were walking across that little bit of snow and ice that was left there. And this two-year-old looks up at me and she says, don't worry, Daddy, I won't let go. And I said, that's good, baby. Daddy won't let go either. Now, who's keeping that little that little one safe? Was it her hanging on to me or me hanging on to her? I know the Lord has promised I will not let you go. But here's one thing old Jacob did right. He said, Lord, I won't let you go except you bless me. I want to be that guy. I want to not let him go. I want to be so committed to Christ. I want to be committed to his gospel. 
I don't want to just give mental agreement that it's true and, and, and make fun of the Armenian that don't believe it. I don't want that. I don't want, don't do that. When I think of the gospel, I want to think about my need to hear it. I need, I need to be in the public worship service. And here's why. Because the Savior said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I want to be where he is. I want to be where he is. I also have a need to do whatever it is I can do to help the ministry so that I and my family and my community and my friends in this community can have a place to come hear the gospel. When Paul wrote to Philemon, he told him, he said, Brother, he said, the saints are, uh, uh, the, the, the saints are refreshed by you. Philemon believed the gospel, and buddy, he put his back to this thing. When God's people were passing through, he came, he took them, and he said, come stay with me. Come stay with me. I'll, I'll take care. I'll feed. Philemon took me around today, just keeping me fed and entertained and fellowship. That's what Philemon did. You know why he did it? That man was committed to the cause of Christ. And you know how he showed it? By a commitment to God's people. By a commitment to his people. And I want to be committed, committed to my pastor who faithfully preaches Christ to me. I got another illustration for this. In writing to the church at Galatia, the Apostle Paul said, verse four, chapter 4, verse 15, he said, I bear you record, if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Apparently, Paul had eyesight problems. And those people, if it was possible, would have took out their eyes that saw and gave them to Paul to help him. That's commitment, isn't it? If uh, you knew Brother Henry Mahan very well, you knew that he was hard of hearing. And he had hearing aids. And uh, those hearing aids weren't as good as they are today. He told me, he said, here's the thing about these hearing aids. He said, especially if I get in a crowd, I can hear nothing. Or I can hear everything. He said, but either way, I can't understand what's going on. The people that, uh, that knew him would have gladly plucked off their ears and given it to the man who would have had 10,000 ears <laughs> if it was possible. That's commitment. That's, I want to be committed to this thing because I need to hear of Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3. This is the last last passage we'll look at. I don't know if I preached too long or not, but, but I want you to get this here. First, first John chapter 3. Verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Now, how do we know God loves his people? Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How can that be possible? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, this is what John's saying. If I'm committed to Christ, and I love Christ, I'm going to be committed to you. And I'm going to show it by my love for you. So I say one more time, 
give me Christ or else I die. Give me a commitment to him and to his cause so that I can help this ministry be a help and encouragement to call sinners to come to Christ. I've been around preaching. Preachers and the gospel pretty much as long as I can remember. And I'm so thankful for those men. So many of those um, those old war horses are gone now. Well, does that mean there's no hope for sinners today? Huh? My earnest prayer is that God would cause us to serve our generation. Now, I'm thankful for those men of the past. I'm not saying I want to forget them or diminish their importance, diminish how God used them. You you know what I'm saying. I mean, I love those men. I love them. Someone was telling me recently about Brother Henry. He said, well, you know, nobody preaches the gospel like him. Well, I mean, I guess that, 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 that could be true, but people preach the same gospel. Um, if we're dependent on these men that the Lord's called home, we're in trouble. Now we're in trouble. Well, let's take up the mantle of our fathers. And I want to be committed to this thing. Um, so that we serve our generation. Somebody served us, didn't they? I want to serve our generation. (sighs) Hope I don't sound like I'm on my soapbox. I'm saying that to me. (laughs) This is so important to me. And I hope it would be helpful to you. I hope it would be a blessing to you. And I thank God for you. I thank God for your your friendship and your fellowship. I thank God that you would would invite me here to to preach. You come out on a Tuesday night instead of a Wednesday night. I thank God for you. And um, like I said, to open the service, I pray God's richest blessing on you. All right, thank you. You can tell me after but one of the elders there at 13th street so there's two kinds of preaching that makes me want to preach and that's good preaching and bad preaching that's good preaching um that's the difference between preaching about christ and preaching christ that was it that's the difference between professing him and possessing him uh thank you we appreciate you brother uh Let's pray together, and then Mike can lead us in a song. You'll be dismissed. Visit visit Frank, but now he's got to get up early. He's still on East Coast time, but love him some, but let him go to bed too. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing my heart tonight. Thank you for blessing your people's hearts. I hope that we might win Christ to be found in him. What a redeemer we have the Lord our righteousness, and to thank you've given 
people like me, his name, whereby she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because of Christ, we thank you. Amen. All right, Brother Mike.